Matthew chapter 25, we'll start reading in verse 14 this morning. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where there's not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. Then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're talking about stewardship, covered the grounds of contentment and commitment and ownership. This morning we're going to talk about a comprehension of what God's mindset concerning stewardship. Now, I want to know God's mindset because my mind and God's mind operate two very different ways. And I want to know what the Bible says concerning the subject, and that's our purpose this morning. That's why we've reread once again this parable, and he starts out by making it very clear that God has blessed every single man with a measure of talents. The Bible says this man who represents the Lord Jesus Christ traveled into a far country. He came to this earth, he's called forth the servants, and he's given every man a measure of talents. Now, the best thing we can do in life is just admit that we've been blessed. If you live in the United States of America, that alone is blessing sufficient to have a thankful heart. But on top of that, you've gotten the gospel. Most of you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're saved, you know it, you have a Holy Spirit living inside of you and guiding you. You have a healthy body. This morning you woke up, both your legs were working. But you have a heart that is functioning and a liver and kidneys. You ought to be thankful for all of that because there may come a time in life when those don't work properly. 
God has given you good health and God has given you a decent job and regular income. And beside that, he's given you some physical talents and uh, some of you know how to sing and some of you are musically inclined. And I don't have any of that. I'm thankful for those that sang this morning. I'm thankful for those that can harmonize. I'm very gifted in that area. I can harmonize. Sometimes during a song, I can sing all four parts in just one verse of that song. I'm very gifted. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I'm thankful for Pastor Robert and the musical groups that he's put together and for the choirs. And thank God for all the pianists. We've lost six pianists in the past couple of years, and most of you have not even noticed because we... We have an abundance of musical talent around here, and I thank God for those that play the trumpets and the violins and the guitars, and I thank God for those that have teaching ability. And God has given you those talents and abilities and gifts, and he expects us to use those for his good. Now, it may seem that the distribution is a little unfair, but that's not what you should dwell on. You know, in life, we look at those with five talents and often are envious and say, Lord, I wish you would have given me a little more talent. And instead of using the talent that God has given us, we sit around and compare what we have or what we don't have and get frustrated. And God expects you to use the talent that he has given you for his honor and for his glory. Now, here's what we normally do. Someone in life that has five talents we look at as extraordinary, right? Whether that's a talent, a physical talent, or the ability to bounce a ball, or, or run fast, or jump high, or ski down a hill at 100 miles an hour. We look at that as extraordinary. I don't think God sees things the same way we do. God says, I'm gonna hand these out, every man according to his ability, and those talents, those gifts, let me put it this way, those divine gifts that God gives us, those divine talents, come with divine expectations. Aren't we that way with our own children? The older they get, the wiser they are, the more that we expect out of them, and based on your abilities, based on your talents, come divine expectations. And God says, I didn't give you that to hide it, sit on it, ignore it, complain about it. I gave you those talents and those gifts and those abilities to be used for my good. Look what it says in verse 19. Here's the expectation. After a long time, the Lord came and he reckoned with them. Now, here's what we think. We see someone like Brother Larry Brown that came and preached this past Weak and is a tremendous pulpiteer. There's someone with five talents. And we like to think that he is responsible to God for his ability to preach. But God gave him five talents and expects him to go and trade and double those talents, develop those talents, and use those talents for his honor and his glory. We look at a pianist like Miss Simpson. We think she is going to have to give an account to God for the talent that she has been given. But the bottom line is, it's not just Miss Simpson that has to give an account or Brother Larry Brown that has to give an account, but every single one in this auditorium has been given talents and abilities. Now, some are obviously one talent 
people. And some are obviously two talent and three talent. And occasionally you run across someone that is a five talent person. But that does not change the number of talents you have. Does not change the fact that God holds you accountable. And here's what we need to understand in verse 14. The Bible says, this man that was traveling into a far country, he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And that's really the point we need to understand. Everything we have in life is God's. Now I want you to pause here for just a moment because most of the time we don't take Bible principle and make it very practical in our understanding. Now we want you to share God's mindset. We're very cautious and careful in life when it comes to ownership. We're very respectful, whether that's his coat, tie, car, house, anything that are his goods, I must respect his ownership of those things. I'm not allowed to sit this close to Brother Mike because I just invaded his personal space. He's going to look at me and say, Preacher, that's a little too close for my comfort. I know young people that share a dorm room and become disgruntled because one day they wake up, go to school, and find a roommate with their tie. And they say, What? That looks like my tie. I recognize that stain. That is my tie. You did not even ask, what are you doing with my tie around your neck? That's called an invasion of my rights and personal property. Can you imagine if I had a personal chauffeur? Bad example. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> so one day I go out and I go to get in the car and it's gone. So I call and ask my chauffeur, Zach, where are you at? And Zach says, well, you know, I wanted to take a spin and test the motor, and uh, this thing will do 130. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Zach, that is not your personal play toy. That is my car. You're supposed to honor me with that. Oh, you know what? I meant to tell you, but Andrew and I decided to go rabbit hunting today. So I, I'm not even in Austin but you know what? I, I really think I can get the blood out of your trunk if I work hard enough. We shot four or five. They bled pretty bad, but don't worry about it. It doesn't smell that bad, and I promise you with a little bit of Lysol and a little bit of, of work, we can, we can get this all back to normal. Now, he doesn't have that right, and of course, I'm going to be angry because that is my car, not his, and although he has the keys, he does not have the right to do with my car as he pleases. Do we understand that? And here's what the Bible says about our life. If we're born again, children of God, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's look at verse 19 and 20. A passage of scripture that's very familiar for most Christians. And although familiar, really truly hasn't entered our understanding that God is the owner of everything that we have. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. What was a purchase price? His blood. There is no higher price than the price that Christ paid for our salvation. We are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now let's think for a moment about the things that you own, that you possess. You don't mind if I come over to your house today. You just want me to respect the fact that that's your personal property. You don't want me to change the color of the paint on the walls. You don't want me to stand on the couch, spill on the carpet, or lay on your bed. You don't even want my socks in your hamper. You don't want me to open your closet and try on your clothes. Right? You understand you can come here as long as you respect the fact that this is mine. You don't mind if I ride in your car. But if we go out to your vehicle and on the way out, I step into the driver's seat, you're upset. You say, if it's my car, I drive. You get the passenger seat. No, you don't get to eat McDonald's in my car. No, you're not going to throw the banana peel in the back seat. No, you're not going to leave a stain and laugh about it because that's my car. You can do that with your car. How is it that we've been bought with a price God says, your body is my temple. Now, how many of you would walk into the house of God and be so careless as to bring a soda, spill it on the carpet, take a pin, dig a hole in the pew, uh, allow your children to write on a wall or play on the piano or run on the platform or take the flowers the decorations home with you, you're respectful enough to say, this is the temple of God and it's not mine and I'm going to be respectful of the person that dwells here and owns this. Although Capital City is on the title of this property, this is God's house. This is God's dwelling. And although you consider yourself the owner, God says everything that you have, everything that you own, those eyes, those ears, that tongue, the, those arms, that strength, your life, your days, all of that is mine. Now let me ask you this. How many Christians truly understand that and respect it? So here's what we do. Although God is the owner, on Monday, if God tries to interrupt or invade or ask or lead or tell us, I would like a part of your day, that's an interruption. That's an invasion. Did you know God gave you that house so you'd be given to hospitality? How many of you have actually used your house for God's sake? Most have never housed or hosted a missionary or a preacher or a person in need or someone that had lost their house or was transitioning from one city to another or selling their house, never used their house one time for the gift or fulfilling the command of being hospitable because that would be an invasion of my space. 
That's not your space. That's God's place. Most would never pick up a car, never pick up a child, never pick up someone in need and drive them to church because that's my Sunday morning and that's my vehicle and I don't want those people in my car and I don't want that to possibly interrupt my day, my coffee time, my Sunday morning. We live our lives truly convinced this is my life and God is simply an interruption. And here's what I'll do for you, God. I'll schedule a little time of about two hours on Sunday morning and possibly two hours on Sunday night and possibly an hour and a half on Wednesday night. And I've scheduled you in and I hope you're thankful for the time that I give you. And God says, no, your life, your strength, your energy, your ability, your talents, that's all mine. Now, that's why we shouldn't get a big head because God gave us everything we have. Because you can run fast or jump high or have some kind of supernatural ability, you can play the piano, you can play the trumpet, doesn't matter what we can do, God has given us that ability, whether it's money, some are proud, I'm a, Self-made man. Better be careful. God hears that, can strip that of you in an instant. As quickly as God gave that to you, he can take it from you. And here's what we need to understand. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 25. We are accountable to God for everything that he has given us. That stewardship, and that includes our body. Now, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to deviate too far from the subject this morning. But as children of God, one of the things that we rarely mention in stewardship is the stewardship of our body. Yes, we ought to eat right. Yes, we ought to exercise. Did you know eventually you will pay for that daily diet of starch and grease and sugar and fried foods and it will catch up with you eventually maybe at 40 or 45 or 50 and that's why it is important that we honor God with our bodies why we ought to teach our children not to overdose on sugar it's not Twinkies are never a good idea for breakfast some kids don't leave the top on the syrup bottle. It comes out too slowly. Better for it to flow like a river than drip like a sink. And so I'm going to take the top off and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost these waffles. I don't need every square on that waffle field. I need them drenched, and I need the plate full, and I need the taste of syrup. You're better off taking that waffle, stuffing it in the syrup bottle. And <laughs> then the best part with that waffle, you give that child a cup of chocolate milk and guaranteed to produce headaches for those teachers all day long. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Here's what we need to understand when it comes to talents and the things that God has given us. We often look at the reward being the amount of talents that we have been given. 
And God says, I don't reward you by the talents I give you. I reward you by what you do with those talents. So we look around at others in jealousy and envy and say, God, why did you reward him with so much talent? No, that was not a reward. That was God simply handing out to men their talents and abilities and gifts in life. But what he will reward us for, and I don't want to get in any argument. You say, preacher, what do you believe about accountability and rewards? Here's what I do believe. Uh, I do believe we are accountable and will be rewarded on this earth and after this life. Now, on this earth, we know one of the rewards is what is spoken of in this chapter. He said, you've been faithful over little, I'll make you faithful or ruler over much so he was rewarded by being responsible and by doubling his talents he was rewarded with more responsibility here's what you're going to find out in life one of God's rewards for being accountable is additional responsibility so if you are 40 or 45 or 50 and God is taking responsibilities from you and minimizing your responsibilities, God is making you accountable for what you did with your talents on the earth. God wants us to be faithful with the talents and the abilities and the gifts that we have. And let me just say this, all of you, more than just the physical gifts, you have spiritual gifts. And if you're a born-again child of God, you have a Holy Spirit. And God is giving you spiritual gifts to be used in the church. And if you are born again and baptized, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you're a member of the church, God wants you to use your spiritual gift to help the church, to grow the church, to mature the church and to minister to those around you. How many Christians have never even used their spiritual gifts to minister to those around them? You are accountable, and God will reward us for the use of our gifts. Now, here's what we think. We think that this man that went out and took his five talents, and he doubled them, we say that lucky, lucky man, you don't double talents because of luck. You double your talents because of hard work. How many of you that heard Miss Simpson play the piano this morning thinks, boy, that lucky, lucky lady, I can't imagine waking up, being born, going to the piano, and just having that kind of skill. Let me tell you about Miss Simpson. I'm, I'm going to demonstrate this morning Mrs. Simpson on the piano the first time she ever played. That was it. She had about the same level of talent that I have, but she had some determination and some grit that wouldn't quit. And she said, I'm going to take this and I'm going to double it. I'm going to triple it. And if you could see the hours and the time and the investment that she has made, that was not luck, but taking the ability that God gave her and developing that ability over years and decades 
And that's what most don't want to do. It takes initiative. It takes integrity. The Bible says something about faithfulness. Look what it said back in verse 19. After a long time. So we don't know how many years or how much time had passed, but the Bible highlights the fact that it was a long time. And then here's the commendation made to the servant. His Lord said to him, well done, thou good and what? So his work was based over or based on faithfulness over a long period of time. And this is what most Christians don't want to do. They don't want to be faithful. Some will be faithful for six months or for a year or get involved or offer their talents or their time or their ability for a year or two, but eventually become aggravated or frustrated in that ministry and quit. How many in here don't raise your hand, but you started learning a musical instrument as a child and it lasted all of eight months. But this man took the time, made the investment. Look what it says in verse 16. Then he that had received five talents, he went and, what's the Bible saying? He traded. That means he understood the value of what he had. Now, can you come out ahead trading if you don't understand the value of what's being traded? No. Can you imagine this morning? Someone was so bright and so intelligent. They said, Brother Gamus, I love that tie. You want to get rid of that tie? No. Tell you what, I got a car out there. I traded my car for your tie. What do you think he's going to say? Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. I don't like this tie so much that I wouldn't trade it for your car. Now that means someone is underestimating the value of what they have. You know why Satan so often comes out on top? Because when he makes trades, he knows the value. He knows he's going to trick you, especially youth, because youth don't understand the value of what they have. They don't understand the value of their upbringing. They don't understand the value of those that have invested in them. They don't understand the value of their purity. They don't understand the value of a good conscience. And so Satan comes with a trinket, a trick, something of no value and offers them a trade. And instead of doubling their talents, by the time they get done, listen, most of these young people are blessed beyond measure. How many people in the world can say they have this kind of financial opportunity? They were saved at a young age. They were protected. They were put in a Christian school. They were put in a godly environment and people all around them were investing in them and helping them. In offering them guidance and counsel and everything from financial help to physical assistance to spiritual uh, support. But instead of taking that and multiplying the investment that God has made in them, they begin trading that away for an unsaved girlfriend, for rock music, for sin in their life, for a smoking habit. Can you imagine trading that away for a cigarette? Trading that away for a night at a party? You know what that is? In life, we would call that a crime. You say, what do you mean, preacher? You heard just a week or so ago about the youth in California 
that there was a, a millionaire that went overseas for a few months, left his house. These kids found out about it. How many heard the story? They went and partied in that house one night, caused $1.8 million worth of damage, and then posted their party on the Internet. That's brilliant. You know what was wrong with that picture? That was not their house. You know what's wrong with the youth of our generation? That is not your body. If you are saved, if you are born again, that is the temple of God. That's a spiritual crime. You're taking that which is God's and desecrating it for your own personal use. But in order to get ahead, in order to multiply your talents, you've got to understand the value of your life. And here's the problem. Most of you that are over 45, now you understand the value. Now you understand the importance of your purity. Now that you've already paid the consequence, now that you've already suffered the emotional trauma, now that you can't go back and recover what you've lost, you understand the value. But much better it is early in life to understand the gift that God has given you, the high cost, the precious treasure that you have. So many times when we were in Mexico, people would come down and visit us. We lived right next to Teotihuacan, which are the uh, Western Hemisphere's largest pyramids. And uh, most everyone that came down would want to go visit those pyramids. And how many times have we made the trek and climbed to the top? And you want to talk about thigh burn. That is thigh burn, straight up. 250 feet straight up. When you're there, everyone has a trinket to sell to the tourist. And they have everything from silver chains and necklaces to blankets and cups. And every American thinks they can get a deal. So someone comes up to them, they speak one line of English. I have a deal for you. And they think, ah, oh, I'm going to get a deal. I'm going to get this guy. And they ask how much that necklace costs. And the man says 500 pesos. And he says, oh, no, oh, no, I'm smarter than that. I'll give you 400 pesos. And the guy said, no, 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 450. And the guy said, no, I'm much smarter than that. You take 400 or I'm going to leave. And the guy said, okay, 400. And you just overpaid by 300 pesos. Congratulations. You bought a $10 necklace for 40 bucks. You know what that guy just did? He ran over to his buddies and he says, I suckered another one. <laughs> it's amazing how we are full of ourselves and unknowingly, unwittingly, we're trading away that which is precious for that which has no value and most people in life they're taking precious days precious time that can never be recovered ever again now listen folks i'm not talking about brand new christians i'm not talking about wayward christians i'm not talking about nominal christians i'm talking about the finest christians in our independent baptist circles are taking their life and on monday investing in nothingness and on tuesday investing from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, investing in nothing eternal. Now, let me ask you this. What is the problem? We cannot, we still cannot, even after 10 or 15 years of reading the Bible, 
going to church, listening to Bible preaching, we still can't identify what truly has value and what does not. And it's a simple equation. That which is eternal has true value. That which is earthly has no lasting value. Yet we chase the earthly as if it had eternal value. So at the end of your life, you have chased nothingness. You have pursued it at points 60 and 70 hours a week. It has cost you your health. For some, it has cost them their marriage. For many, it has cost them their children. They sacrifice their own children, their own relationships, their own mate on the altar, financial gain. I have a little bit more. I have a house with more square footage. I have a newer car and nicer clothes and a purse that says coach and a suit that says Hart Schaefer and Marks. Shoes that say Nike. I've reached the pinnacle of success. And God says, what did you trade for that? So it was worth trading your marriage to have 3,500 square feet it was worth trading your marriage to have two brand new cars. It's worth trading your children so that they could have clothes with the designer label. So at the end of your life, with no soul saved, no impact, no buddy that's been affected by your 60 years on the planet, you can look back at your two acres, a house that you just paid off, Cars that have devalued drastically and are only three years old. But boy, you have the newest, fanciest coffee maker on the planet, a new toaster, wood floors. So what are you going to do? Stuff that in your coffee when you die? By the way, leave a note in your will. Pull up my wood floors and put, make sure to put them in my coffin or build my coffin with it. It cost me a lot of money. Do you understand what we've traded? He went and traded, but he didn't trade down. He traded up. How about if we simplify? How many days, how many hours, how much time working did you have to spend to actually pay for that phone? How much do you make an hour and how much did that cost? And then to sustain it. So how many hours a week are you working just to sustain that phone how many hours are you working just to sustain driving around that car folks I'm just telling you God has given us all this and we're wasting the investment that he's made in us because we're consumed with taking that which has value our time our talents our abilities our money our freedom the Holy Spirit the teaching the preaching that we receive and we take all of that and we invest it in financial gain. And let me ask you this, after 40 years on this planet, 50 years on this planet, explain to me all your financial gain. You still own a house. You still own a car. You still don't have all the clothes you want. You still don't have all the goods you want. You still don't have the bank account you want. You still have debt. So you know what you did? You traded that which has value for that which has little value. 
instead of multiplying our talents for God's glory and his good, we're wasting our money on trinkets. Have you ever seen someone come off of an airplane from Mexico with a sombrero? Anybody ever seen that? Walking through the airport. I know where that's going. You're going to go home, walk around, look like a cornball for about two hours, and everyone's going to laugh at you. You're gonna, it's going to go in the closet. And two years from now, someone's going to throw that thing out. That was a good $40 investment. Now, it takes hard work. And the longer we live and the longer we're part of this culture and society, the more we hate work. We are a slothful nation. So if we can get benefits from the government without having to work, why work? That wouldn't make much sense. You know what most people are looking for? They're not looking for a job that requires work. I'm looking for a job that pays me for 40 hours when I can work about 15 to 20. The work days are shorter. Vacations are longer. Sick days are endless. Most of you have so many days off and so many sick days, so many vacation days, you can't even take them all. At the end of the year, you're cashing them in. You're making money off not being sick. You know what this man was called with his talent? Because the third one took what he had and hid it. He was called slothful. Verse 26, his Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. God said, I want you to be faithful. Now let me ask you this. Once you take a look at verse 21 and 23, we have the master coming back to reward his servants, to make them accountable, to check on what they've done with their talents. Now here's what he says to the man with five talents who went out and worked and doubled his talents. Look what it says in verse 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now make a, make a mental note. Read this with me, verse 23. Let's do a mental comparison with the previous verse that we read. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let me ask you, what is the difference between verse 21 and verse 23? Here was a man that had five talents. He was faithful with those five and doubled them. Here's a man with two talents. He was faithful, went and doubled them. There's no difference in the commendation. There's one word, thou. That's the only word of difference. Syllable for syllable, word for word. Aren't you thankful that you can hear the same commendation made by the master, whether or not you have two or five talents? How many of you in here have five talents? How many of you say, preacher, I got two or three? Most of you have two or three talents. And God expects you to use those talents. But aren't you thankful that whether or not you have one talent or five talent, those with such great ability, God says, I expect you to be faithful and I'll give you the same reward, the same commendation if you're simply faithful with the talent, the ability, and the gifts that I've given you. Now, the one with two talents was probably surprised because he was thinking, boy, I just, 
I didn't do as much. You know what we do? We look at men like R.B.U. Ladder. We look at the missionaries of the past, Hudson Taylor, or those that we've read about in books, George Mueller, and say, I can never do that. And in heaven, they're going to hear those words, thou good and faithful servant. But God's going to look at me and say, well, you know, you tried. Give it a shot. You're in the peewee leagues, but hey, you made a touchdown one time. Good for you. That's not what's going to happen. God says, based on what I've given you, that's what I need you to be faithful with. Are you faithful with what God has given you? Are you faithful with the talent and the ability? Are you sitting around griping because you don't have what others do have? Now, failing to properly use those talents made the third servant unprofitable and wicked. Read with me in verse 26. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Verse 30. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Now let me ask you this. How do we term wickedness? If I asked you, are you wicked? You'd say no. I've never killed anyone. I've never been a drug dealer. I've never taken a knife and sliced someone up. I've never sucker punched anyone. Never beat anyone up. Never got in a fight in high school. I've never been a thief. Never been a murderer. Never been a whoremonger. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a fornicator. I don't fall into the wicked category. Now let me ask you this. What made this man classified by the master as wicked? Let's look what it says in verse 25. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. That was it. This man did not take this money and go party. We don't find him at 6th Street. We don't find him drunk. We don't find him robbing a bank. We don't find him in adultery when the master returns. He was classified as wicked for doing one thing, that which he was given, the talent, the ability, the gifts that his master gave him. He simply took those things and he said, I'm afraid this may turn out bad. I'm afraid because my master's a hard man. You know, many people think of God. Look at God as a hard man. God is so demanding. Look at the Bible. Look at the verses. Look at the commandments and look at holiness and look, look at all those things. God's a good man. Why don't you look at all the blessings you've received and all the grace and the kindness that he's bestowed? And he says, I've given you that. Use it for my good. Can you imagine if your master gave you the keys to a Maserati in a mansion, said you can live there and you can drive it, but use it for my good. Now you can't party in that. You can't bring friends and destroy it. And I don't want you to do 130. He's a hard man. He said, I can't do 130. That's what these cars were made for. No, you can't bring over 100 people and hold a party in this house. Well, good night. Why in the world does he even let me live here if I can't bring my friends over? And those great dames you have, I never want to see them in the living room. Well, well, 
There we go, another rule. Rules here, rules there. I bet I can't let my tortoise in your bathtub either. Nope. What are you, a tortoise hater? That's the way people look at God. Rules, rules, good night, rules for everything. God said, look at everything I gave you. I have given you life. I have given you freedom. I have given you opportunity. I have given you finances. I've given you everything. You're complaining that you can't do 130 in the Maserati? The master comes and says, thou wicked servant. He's not smoking. He's not drinking. He's not doing cocaine. There's no marijuana on his possession, in his possession. He's called wicked because he took that which was his master's and did nothing with it. Now, let me ask you this. What is our mentality? I'm not wicked, preacher. No, sir. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do weed, I don't fornicate, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't hurt anyone. That's not how God classifies wickedness. God says, I gave you talent and gifts and abilities. Now you tell me what you're doing with it. Who are you helping? Who are you encouraging? How are you helping in the church? What ministry are you serving in? Who have you led to Christ? Who are you discipling? How have you helped in the place that I have put you to serve? And with all those talents and all that opportunity and all those gifts, what are you doing for my honor and for my glory? And 90% of the Christians that I know personally have taken their talents. Now let me ask you this. Do you think this servant had a perfect past? Do you think these three servants had a perfect past? Do you think they were given their talents based on a perfect past? Well, I'm going to give you five because you're a very good child and you're a very good teenager and you've been a very good adult. So you get five. But you, Mikey, mm-mm. I know too much. You get one. And only because I'm a good man. This wasn't based on their past. This was based on their future. You know what you've done? You, based on your past, took your talent and said, nah, God may have given you three talents, but because you did something in your past, God can't use me. I'm just going to go hide my talent. The whole premise for his decision was based on one word, afraid. And you know why most hide their talent? Fear. You know why you don't serve? Fear. You know why you don't sow in? Fear. You know why you don't give? Fear. You know why you're not involved in a ministry? Fear. You know why you don't offer your services? Fear. But fear doesn't work. Excuses are not the salvation of the slothful. He came and he said, now listen, the master said, what you're saying is true. He said, you know why I did this? I know you're a hard man. God, I can't serve you because I know how hard and how demanding, how, and the master didn't even deny it. He said, you know what? If you knew that about me, your obligation was even greater. 
So whether or not you have a right conception or a misconception of God, you do have gifts and you do have an obligation. And with those gifts, those divine talents come divine expectations. God didn't reward you when you, he gave you those gifts. God rewards you based on what you do with those talents and gifts. And he says, your life is mine. And everything you have is mine. Your singing ability, your strength, the days of your life, your gifts, your money, everything you own, that's mine. And here's what I expect. Use it for me. Anything else is thievery. And let me ask you this this morning. You don't want to fall into the category of a wicked, slothful, unprofitable servant. What do I do to avoid that category? That's why we're talking about comprehension. You've got to understand God's mindset and what he requires of us and understand God's purpose for you in your life. Now, if you've never been saved, God wants you to get saved. You need to get saved this morning. You can't have a walk with God. You can't have a relationship with God until you get saved. But once you get saved, you've got to understand, I am God's in everything from my house, my car, my possessions, my income, everything I have is God's. Now, God, how do you want me to use that today for your honor and your glory? Until you do that, your life will be misspent. Your talents will be wasted in all of us. Everyone here is accountable to God. Until we understand there is an almighty God that says, I am your master. I own everything you have. And you have one obligation. That's to live for my honor, my glory, not your own. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.